welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 30. We made it to episode 30. I'm your host, right. Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. <laughs> We're clearly excited to do uh, DS9's where we have fifth season, uh, The Ascent. Uh, my page won't turn. The Ascent. <laughs> Help me out. What's that? Rapture. 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 The Darkness and the Light and the Begotten. <laughs> That's correct. And uh, we have our. Uh, uh, guest listener, uh, guest host today, Ben, who's going to be joining us from the UK, hopefully, um, for uh, Rapture and Darkness and Light. So here we go with The Ascent. The Ascent, Season 5, Episode 9, Production Number 507, Original Air Date, November 25th, 1996, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, Directed by Alan Croker, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest casts include Max Grudenchik as Rom and Aaron Eisenberg as Nog. Odo is dispatched to escort court to a Federation grand jury hearing, an eight-day journey away. Halfway to their destination, Quark hears a strange buzzing noise. When he and Odo investigate, they find a bomb aboard the runabout. They contain the explosion in a transporter beam, but are forced to crash land on a frozen, desolate planet. Odo and Quark learn they lost their communication system, their replicator, and most of their rations in the explosions. explosion. They are left with the horrifying choice of starving to death or freezing to death. Well... I guess you're not as successful a businessman as you think you are. Which means you spent the last ten years of your life trying to catch a nobody. With little success, I might add. So you tell me, which one of us is the bigger failure? Uh, Steve, why don't you start us off on this one? Well, um, I, uh, I, I like this okay, you know, this episode. Um, I, um... It struck me right off the bat that Jake seems still too young to move out, but maybe I have a weird angle on that. I don't well, know. Well, if they measured age and height. Yeah. Well, that's what they're going for. <laughs> yeah. Is, there, is yeah. it really moving out? I mean, they still live in the same building. Yeah, yeah, I guess not. It's like I'm moving to another room, I suppose. Um, and that's an odd container for root beer. I don't know why they put root beer in things. Like, you think a frosty mug would be kind of the standard. Yeah, you know, in the, um, I think, uh, I forget where in my research, John Eves actually did a, uh, a sketch of the concept for the root beer container. <laughs> I think it was in the uh, companion book. Uh, I forget though. Yeah, if yeah. I wasn't mistaken, that root beer looked a little flat too. There was no. Yeah, uh, yeah. They took out carbonation. But but yeah, overall, I enjoyed the episode. I mean, uh, you know, it's nothing nothing outstanding. I, I think, but um, uh, the obviously the strength of it is, of course, the two actors for Odo and Quark playing off each other, and they work so well together. That's fun. Uh, Let me tell you what I like about this episode and why I remember it so incredibly fondly, even if it's not quite as great as I remember, but it's still very good to me, is because we have this sense of the seven years of DS9 of Odo and Quark kind of pairing off together all the time, but they actually didn't. I've seen, um, read multiple interviews with both of those guys, and we've, you know, we've all seen them, you know, in person talking about this same thing. Like people have this image of them pairing off together, um, but they did it such a small amount of time. You could, pro- if somebody really had a lot of free time, you could go through the entire series and cut up every little, you know, couple of lines they mm-hmm. had together, and it still wouldn't really amount to that much in the overall screen time of the series. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. episode is the one time. They gave them their own episode just to do that 
dang near the whole time if it weren't for the the B story, although it's nice that the B story is kind of thematically related. Uh, This episode is the one time we got Odo and Cork. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense when, you know, their scenes are are always good, no matter how short they are. They could be, you know, a minute, two minutes. And that's why we remember them as being more than they are, because they are, they're, they're, they're so naturally good together in every way, you know, the, the writing, the performance, the characters work so well together. That's why mm-hmm. we remember them as being longer than they are is because they are so good. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. The one thing I was wondering about, where was the phaser to heat up the rocks? <laughs> I'm sure it was uh, uh, destroyed in the but, crash. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. everything they really needed was conveniently yeah, right, destroyed exactly. in the crash. Yeah, it was all it was all located in one place. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Uh, I like that moment when, um, oh, I think Cork finds the um, <laughs> thermal outfit or whatever it is, and uh, you know he tells Oda there's only one of them, and he says, "Well, you know." Carrying this transmitter up the mountain should keep you warm. And then, of course, the next shot, it's Cork carrying the transmitter. But that they're sh- sharing the the outfit, and they each have, like, one glove. It's yes. like a Michael Jackson thing going on there with that one shiny silver glove. <laughs> this is also, there's kind of, not really, it's not really crucial to the episode, but it, it's an, some kind of strange insight into Federation law in that, he doesn't have to know why he's being transported somewhere. I mean, obviously they both kind of know the other one mm. knows something maybe, but it's odd that he's, I, I'm not going to tell you you're, we're putting you on the ship and going, you think it, <laughs> that wouldn't be real. That wouldn't be the right way to go about it, but I guess they can get away with that. Well, uh, technically yeah. being on the ship must not be considered detaining him. It's not detaining him until he gets to the location or something, because once they detain you, they have to tell you why, right? Right. You'd think. Yeah. Yeah. You you would think that Cork would have invested in a, a lawyer at some point during this um, <laughs> five years. <laughs> oh my God, I can't imagine a Ferengi lawyer. <laughs> um, I, it, it's a small B story, but I, I like the B story with um, Jake and Nog. Mostly, yeah. what I like about it is just I like that Nog has come back as this spit and polish boy. Yeah, yeah. You know? he was transformed pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in the army for four years. I was in the army band, but. Um, well, that was before I met you, Adam, but that was, you know, obviously Steve, you and I knew each other then. Um, and I was thinking about it. It felt to me like I came back as a bit spit and polished boy, at least after, after basic training, which, yeah, I was in the band, but I went through the same basic training as everybody else. And I was still in the army, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember making a trip back just a couple months after basic training, but while I was still at the uh, Navy School of Music, um, mm-hmm. back to our little hometown in Missouri there and seeing you guys and feeling like, you know, like I think Nog must have felt here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember that, Steve? Yeah, I do. I don't remember the details enough to be able to tell you how how big of an effect. It, there, was, there was something a little different, but I think there's probably like an immediate after effect to something like basic training and that kind of initial stuff, you know, that might not carry over consistently depending on your activities following, but... Yeah, I, I can I can fathom that, but but that's what I that's what I enjoyed about this, you know, mm-hmm. um, is that you find the right person and you put them in that say let's say Starfleet Academy, you know, and it and it can um, bring the right things out of them, and you get somebody that you know you imagine Nog in the pilot episode of this series, and now see him now, and um, it's been a very you know believable five year um, mm-hmm. change. 
But yeah, yeah. Um, so there are some nice um, parallels between the A and the B story, between these um, friends who love each other, hate each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else we got in this one? Uh, I I really liked some of the uh, the makeup and the costumes and things on the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we it, when it's really good, you take it for granted. And I I felt that way about about these guys hiking up the mountain with this heavy transmitter and they're cold and and both of them are completely prosthetics over their faces. You know, and it's, and it's still mm-hmm. working. Yeah, and by the end, you definitely see the wear and tear on them, you know, and not just an injury here and there, but that kind of drawn look like, I mean, these guys are dying, you know, if they don't get mm-hmm. yeah, out of here. So that, that was really well done. You know, I could see mm-hmm. that change. Uh, it's one of those things I wonder about. As a side note here, uh, we're recording this just a matter of hours before uh, the next gen, the next level, the, the sampler disc comes out on Blu-ray where you get to see this mm-hmm. stuff in HD. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we all hope that they end up doing the same process to DS9 and Voyager. Um, this is one of those episodes. Watching that, I'm like, I wonder how well that <laughs> yeah. would hold up in HD. I don't know. Right, it's, right. That's it interesting. Does look great there. Yeah. Um, got anything else on this one? What do we? What do we think it's about? Oh, wait, but no. Before that, Caesar, what's your favorite scene in this episode? My favorite scene in this episode is, I guess it would have to be the very end when they're like, you know, when Cork rattles off, you know, all those things I said about you. Mm-hmm. I meant them, <laughs> you know, it's just great. And the Otis says, so did I. And then they laugh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, I remember seeing this the first time. I remember the first time I saw this episode. This is one of those episodes where I remember the first time I saw it when it originally aired. And I remember loving that ending so much, you know? Yes. As the as the audience, we knew a long time ago that they really loved each other, and we've gotten little bits in here and there. But here, it's like we know that they know it. You know, yeah. there's, there's mm-hmm. no longer any kind of question left in this show yeah. about that. You know, and that's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what do you guys got for what it's about? Well, obviously the A and B story kind of relate, and so there's mm-hmm. something about friendship here the the the, like you said the love-hate relationship that close friends have and uh working through working through little 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 problems and such to maintain that friendship i suppose maybe to some extent Mm -hmm. caesar what do you got um yeah i'd agree there i'd um also say i mean i guess um a level of trust trusting that the person that you know that you think you know is going to be there for you. I mean, cause mm-hmm. they had to try, I mean, you know, Jake and Nog at the end, they eventually had to like trust each other to like be able to live together in that little dorm room that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same, same goes for Cork and Odo. I mean, you couldn't have seen this episode in, in the first season between the two of them because they're they're They literally didn't trust each other, but I don't think they trust each other now, but they trust each other enough to know what each other's going to do. And um, yeah, they, they trust each other's limits, you know, mm-hmm. They trust that at the end of the day, they are still friends, I think. Um, and and all, all this is this is not on the level in that sense. I, I was talking a minute ago about, I think now they know. But, you know, they're still going to give each other crap. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the other, the, one other scene I wanted to mention that I really liked was uh, Cork uh, counting his steps. And then they have that big argument. Uh, where Odo tells him, you know, you haven't, you haven't accomplished anything in all these years. And then and Cork says something like... And all you've done is chase a nobody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a and good scene. Yeah, that's when they get into their fight and, and Odo breaks his leg. Um, 
So I, I remembered liking this episode uh, a little more than I felt now, but I still liked it. It sounds like I liked it more than you guys, maybe. Um, and I, I liked it. Um, I thought the the whole desperate i think they went a little overboard with the test you know everything was gone and you know they had to walk like six mm-hmm. days with no food or i guess water or heat i didn't you know i didn't think it was not ne- that necessary to make it that peril of a situation but i mean i, I think mean, it that, still works i think there's if what keeps the episode holds it back just a hair for me is a bit of a disconnect in the a and the b story and not obviously they're related thematically with these friends but they're a little, it's a little weird to go, we, and we've talked about this in a couple of other episodes, I think. It's a little weird to go from life and death situation to my, my roommate won't clean up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To cut back and forth between those things ends up, I don't think it really hurts the B story, but it hurts the A story. It kind of takes some of the peril out of, and drama out of the A story. Right, right. You know, it yeah. kind of makes you start to watch the A story as just as, as whatever you see in the B story is what mm-hmm. you bring over. Yeah, you, do. you don't take it as seriously. I would agree right. with that. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I think there's a degree of emotional investment one has in something, you know, and you can't just easily just switch, turn a switch and go back and forth when it, they're intercut. You know what I mean? I think that's why that is. You know, you kind of get a, a vibe of how serious something is and then when it jumps back to the more serious one, it's not like you can immediately switch to that mode or something. Yeah. I, I think if this obviously DS9 would be very different if it, was, if it was made today but if this episode was made today um, I think they might have stayed with them the entire time and it would have been um, I don't know it would have been a little bit more ballsy but I think it could have made it more um, dramatic if it had just been them these two the whole time and you know they were out in the wilderness and it was quiet and it was it would be it was cold and it was scary you know yeah you, we you got that we didn't let up like like what happens every time we cut away well I think probably part of the problem they didn't and they didn't address this at the station like you know they, obviously you know they were they were at least halfway there by the time they crashed right and then I'm I'm a, from what I got from the episode they walked for at least a week so there was nothing on the station that alerted like oh yeah these guys are missing um so yeah they, how, yeah it's a good question like how long were they traveling before Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the other hand, even if they had um, been alerted to the fact that they were missing, it doesn't mean they would have found them on this one particular planet. Right. I, I, I get that. But yeah, I, I I didn't think about what you were saying earlier. Just the disconnect between the two just kind of entered into my brain. Just all those things, variables that go into that. Alrighty then. Six degrees for the ascent. All right. So, hmm. Um, who wants to go first, Steve or Adam? I'll, I'll go first. Adam's going first. Good. Right. Uh, Nong arrives on. The, okay, so today's no one. I think it's going to get more extreme as we go on now. But it's one another one of those days where a couple of the episodes that didn't have much to do with Six Degrees, our traditional trivia, where we ask uh, about actors that have played multiple roles on Star Trek. So today we didn't have a lot of uh, DS uh, Six Degrees crossover. So I'm going to ask some generic trivia questions, but we're going to get a couple of good Six Degrees as well. So, Adam. Nog arrives on the station for his Starfleet Academy year of field study. How long would this year of field study last? <laughs> uh, six, uh, six months? No, a year. A year of field study. Uh, n- n- no, Steve. <laughs> uh, the rest of the series? That's correct. <laughs> so at least three years, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Then it's not really a year of field study. Well, doesn't, he, right. get a, doesn't he get promoted? Because yes, of the war? Yes, I, I think that's one of the last things. That, well, actually, he gets promoted a couple of times, but I remember Cisco does it at the end of the series, but I think he gets promoted one other time, too. 
Well, doesn't he go? I mean, what I'm talking about from cadet to actual ensign. Uh, I think I don't know. How long does no, he have it's, a, it's a little vague because you'd think they'd have to still finish school, so it's kind yeah, of confusing yeah. with him. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's well, they go, I think the war kind of speeds yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, that you can you can explain it away as you know the war comes and yeah. But when does he go from pajamas to full on uniform? The <laughs> <laughs> question because you know uh, what is it that uh, what is it that uh, Jake says about his costume in this episode? God, I'm pretty sure he called them pajamas, or yeah, he did. Sounds right. Something like I'd I'd kill myself if I got. <laughs> no, no, I know what he said. I'd die of embarrassment if I ever had to wear those pajamas. <laughs> yeah. And really, they kind of they, they do look like an officer's pajamas, you know, for like you were going to see <laughs> Captain. Steve, uh, so you got one. Uh, on route to the grand jury, Quark attempts to pass the time by teaching Odo the card game Fizbin. Who invented this game? <laughs> It was, of course, invented by Captain James Kirk. Uh, that is correct. For no bonus points, you remember when? Um, during the episode, A Piece of the Action. That is correct. All right, two and zip. Okay, we're going to take a quick bake while we... We're going to take a quick bake while we... Contact, <laughs> uh, that could be confused for something else there, Brian. <laughs> we're going to contact Ben. Hello there, guys. Hello. 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 Ben. Yes, that's me. How, How are you doing? Everyone? Oh, not too bad, actually. I'm it, must be, it must be really late. Uh, just coming up half one in the morning. Oh, my God. You and really I'm still sober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, oh, actually, it's officially Monday, but officially Monday. in my head, it's still Sunday. So. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for uh, letting me come on. Or hopefully, sure. well. Uh, so. How long have you been a uh, Star Trek fan? Oh, uh, uh, good question. Uh, like, what what show did you start with? Uh, next generation. Uh, but those were probably uh, repeats. So, because mm-hmm. I don't, I can never remember any of them ever coming out live over here. I just remember mm-hmm. watching it on a, a satellite channel guy over here so it's just like but i would say end of 90 or probably mid 90s when i was at school still yeah so so you've seen all of them i assume all the shows or to be honest i i've watched everyone apart from shocker horror the original oh yeah i know it's very weird i ended up buying them all on dvd apart from the original for some Oh, and the animated for some peculiar reason, yeah. but but one of these days I'm sure I'll get around to watching the whole the whole lot. <clears throat> but you've seen the the original series movies, I assume. A uh, couple, a few of them. A few of them. Few. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and it's only when it, whenever they appear on the TV, I will put them on, and I will watch them. <laughs> well, you know, it's. Uh... From the next generation on, you know, next gen DS9, Voyager, and even Enterprise, they were made by so many of the same people, and they have so much of the same feel that certainly the original series and even the animated series are are so disparate from the the more modern treks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you like J.J. Uh, Abrams' movie? I did actually. Uh, I'm surprised I actually did. It was just like I was going, "What's going to go here? What's going to happen <laughs> here?" And it just like <laughs> it was just like. Oh, actually, that was very good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. I think, pardon? Oh. Apart from 
it was just wondering what was going to happen uh, with the timeline, as I think you guys uh, yeah. probably thought. But other than that, really, yeah, we're still it. trying to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had weeks of conversation after the movie because of that, the timeline. Uh, All right, well, uh, let's jump right into it. Okay. So, uh, what's the, here we go with uh, Rapture. <laughs> Rapture, Season 5, Episode 10, Production Number 508, Original Air Date, December 30th, 1996, Teleplay by Hans Beimler, Story by L.J. Strom, Directed by Jonathan West, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Ernest Perry Jr. as Admiral Watley, and Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn. Cisco gets a sneak peek at a painting depicting Bahala, Bajor's legendary lost city. The painting depicts an obelisk that, according to legend, marked the city's coordinates in the universe. Sisko, one for ancient Bajoran puzzles, studies the visible markings, then recreates the obelisk and the hollow suite to try to determine what the hidden markings might be. When a hollow system short knocks Sisko unconscious, his senses are enhanced. Are enhanced. With these new enhancements, Cisco begins to have visions, which lead him to the lost city. But when the visions increase, what does it mean for Bajor? And even more, what does it mean for Cisco? What do you mean you're not going to let Dr. Bashir operate on you? You have to. Don't you see? These visions are gifts. I can't refuse them. I cannot believe what I'm hearing. Listen to yourself, Ben, sitting there telling us that this mystical journey of yours is more important than watching your son grow up. All right, Rapture. I got to say, you know, I have referenced this episode a lot as we've watched the series as it's gone along. And it still is really good to me. I really like this episode. And that's funny because most of the time, the really Bajoran religion stuff, I don't hate it. Like, I mean, I don't dislike it even as much as some other people I know that don't, maybe don't care for the Bajoran uh, faith stuff. But this one episode, I, I just, I think it's so great. And I think it's a, sh- it's a ballsy show. I don't think any of the other series, maybe Next Gen, maybe Picard, but really, I don't think any of the other series could have pulled this off. And I don't think, I don't think any of the other captains could have, could have done this sort of thing without, mm-hmm. without it feeling silly or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- this has been set up for a number of years. I mean, we see um, Cisco. This isn't like I said in the the synopsis. He, this isn't the first time he's taken on a um, you know Bajoran legend. You know, we saw him build the Windsail and get to Cardassia. Um, very early on, we see him like building. Cl- he's very in, he he likes the puzzles. The I don't know. Um, and they've set this up, and you know, gradually we've seen him resist. Um, being emissary, you know, in the last season or two, um, he's warmed up to it quite a bit. Um, so th- this this episode couldn't have been done early on, but it, it's set up just right for right now. And I agree with most of what you said, Brian. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty. It, it's I don't think it could have been done with another captain. Just Ben, just, Ben, what do you think about that? You're you're a next gen oh. fan. Can you see Picard being like a, a prophet? No, he would probably. Uh chuck that off straight away you'd probably say no <laughs> go about 20 miles in the opposite direction and mm-hmm. ignore it but uh, you say all right yeah. take these things out of my head <laughs> yeah definitely uh probably but that is what cisco did last time and there yeah. was another episode right where he had something and he hadn't gotten to this point in his acceptance of being uh, the emissary and he told he told bashir take it take him out of my head i forget the episode but yeah well 
I think, yeah, I think, but I, th- I think here it's like maybe the first time that it's almost like he's been given proof, sort in, in a way, because he's been literally his mind is, you know, mm-hmm. he, he pre, you know, taken. They've taken him to a place, and he's discovered something as a result of their influence, et cetera, yeah, it's et cetera. Hard to argue with that, huh? Yeah, yeah. He, he basically has proof of their influence in this way, which is how it works for everybody else in this episode. We have Kira flat out saying, you know. We've we've heard her say before that she believes he's the, he's the emissary, but we hear her hear her saying, uh, for example, I believe the time is right for for Bayshore to be to get admitted to the Federation. Compare that to the way she was in the first season. Total mm-hmm. total opposite because of Cisco, or even more clear, Kai Wynn saying mm-hmm. he found Bahala. I believe he's the emissary, and she clearly never believed it before. That's a that's, 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 find, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, just. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, I did find that very strange to start with when Kai Wynn was going, oh, yeah, we should join the Federation. We should do this and supporting Cisco all the way. It's just like completely bemused me. Yeah, well, you start wondering, what's she up to? (laughs) Yeah, precisely. I I can't remember where I wrote that down, but it was just like, what she's trying to do, what she doing? Yeah, because she always has some kind of an angle. But it, but you know, it's the one time she she has that little speech to um, uh, Kira, where she talks about what happened to her uh, during the uh, Cardassian occupation, and that she was in prison and got beatings or something. Um, and it's actually kind of touching if you were listening it from to listening to that story from anybody else. But even with Win, you're like, well, there's a little bit of vulnerability mm-hmm. there. And I've often talked on this show about how. You know, my the reason DS9 is my favorite Star Trek is just because of all the all the all the colors of gray we have, you know? And mm-hmm. this is another example where Wynn, the one that's darn near easiest to hate. Most of the time she's very clearly, you know, yeah. um evil and uh, but there's always this this fence thing going on and and uh and here she has that little speech and you almost want to empathize with her. And, you know, it's not going to take long before she's mm-hmm. she's she's going to go right back the other direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, that's the kind of stuff that I like. Well, that, that's what I think is so interesting here is 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 that all, all these people they seem to make some kind of advance in a way, you know, in terms of oh they're they're all changing their views or changing their minds, and then then at the end it's all just kind of twisted up because he says no, it's not the time for Bajor to join the Federation, and so it's all you know it's all mm-hmm. just kind of turned on its head, you know. You, you, it, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and after after all these years, that was Cisco's mission. If you remember mm-hmm, back to the, mm-hmm. to the pilot, uh, Picard says something like, "Short of violating the Prime Prime Directive, you do what anything you have to to get mm-hmm. Bajor into the Federation." And here we have Cisco barging into the room and saying, <laughs> "It's too soon. They can't join. Don't do it." You know. And if it weren't for, you would think that would really get him into hot water with uh, Starfleet. But the fact is that Bajor, Starfleet, whether they don't, I mean, they may not like that Bajor accepts uh, Cisco as the emissary, but they have to accept that Bajor feels that way because they couldn't pull him out. Mm-hmm. Bajor would go nuts. They'd never yeah. join. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's see. Any specific scenes? Oh, well, you know, I, I was thinking about that that last scene, like when Cisco, one of the last scenes, when Cisco wakes up in the infirmary and he's, no, you've taken them away. You've taken these visions away. Um, that That... That seemed like a very strong scene to me, and that's another one of those scenes where I try to imagine—I uh, don't know—Janeway. Can you see Janeway doing that line? No. And I, and I love Voyager, and I love her. I'm not—it's not a—it's not, a, not a, a good bad thing I'm talking about. It's just an example of how 
how specific to DS9 and how specific to this show. No, that's not, I'm not wording that correctly. It's, it's a good example of what a specific thing this show has become. Mm-hmm. You know, because all of this stuff, you know, every Brooks is perfect for this kind of thing. And, but in the context of the show, it works, too. Well, I think of all the captains, he's um, he displays the most feeling. I mean, most of the other captains are, are more logically minded, not to say that they're robots. But I mean, we see we see more often than not Cisco's emotions on his sleeve um, than than opposed to the other captains. But, it, you know, go ahead. Sorry, I was just about to say, I think that's what they were planning with it, because that's what they brought in on, the, I think, what, the first episode in the Emissary? Wasn't mm-hmm. it the first scene? So yeah. that I yeah. think that was the idea, to bring it a bit more emotion to him, I guess. Well, that's what I would guess anyway. And, and, it, and it always, and maybe it's, maybe it's like what you were just saying, because they started that way, but it, it's always felt natural. And in some of the other shows, some of the time, oh, let me think of an example. Generations, the seventh film. Um, Picard learns of the death of his brother and nephew, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he cries, and it, and that scene always felt a bit forced to me. You know, um, I'm, of course he'd Definitely. be very upset, but seeing the captain in this feature film cry is, a, well, I don't know. Um, maybe there like was, a single tear would have worked. Like there was more. Saw, Go ahead, Brian. Well, didn't we see? Didn't we see Picard have like a single tear in Best of Both Worlds? Or am I thinking of First Contact? <laughs> well, he he broke down yeah. in that. What, what was that when he went home? Yes, family what, something, something family. Yeah, Steve? that's yeah, yeah, family. I think family. Oh, just called family. Right, right, right. I thought I saw one when he was getting assimilated, wasn't he? Out of that one single tear. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think it was Best of Both yeah. Worlds. Yeah. yeah. So it's still very, you know. It's 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 held back right and that's that's what those things were and that never felt like a stretch in those shows but you know it, it, it did in say generations I'm, I'm just pointing out right they never made me feel well i don't know that's going too far and and mm-hmm. it's because cisco you know we've talked about that before but he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve yeah i think it's i think it's it says something for avery brooks acting and and mm-hmm. the writers and not just specifically for this character in a way this whole series what they've done with it has been a little outside the box because of things they've done and 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 people are willing to go a little outside of what is the standard protocol in so many ways and it, it feel you can get away with more stuff you know it's like you establish a precedent for um you never know what's going to happen and people might do a little something you don't expect then you can buy it when when something like this happens, and I don't think it's mm-hmm. character specific. I think it, it kind of is, you know, series series wide. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, what have we, what have we got for what this is about? I'll tell you the the line that I felt what it was about. Um, God, now which, which scene was it? Uh, one of the one of the scenes. I think it was in Ops where. Um, uh, like Dax and somebody else, I forget. Oh, it was about faith. Yeah, they're complaining about that Cisco um, should get this surgery before he dies, and um, Kira says, "You know, you're wrong. Uh, faith is everything." You know, and I, that's what I think this this one's about. I think it's almost in those those three words: faith is everything. Um, go ahead. So I was just about to say, I'm going to definitely agree with you. I've got that in capital letters uh, written down here. <laughs> so I, and then I decided I'll put another one below it, though, which was priorities. 
Mm. But it's like its priorities towards suddenly going from the Federation to uh, what's best for... uh, Like Bajor? Bajor, Bajor, that's the word. Thank you. You you could also say priorities as far as when he was under the influence of these visions, he was giving, you know, he said, these are a gift, I can't refuse them. He was giving um, those visions priority over his family's needs. You know, Jake, Jake needed him, but he wasn't going to give up those visions. Um, but Jake decided that he needed Cisco, he needed his dad um, mm-hmm, yeah. more than anything, which is why we end up with the family scene at the end, the familial scene at the end. Steve, Adam, what do you guys got? Uh, I don't think I can add anything more from what no. you guys said. That's just right on. Yeah. Awesome. I'd agree. I'd agree. <laughs> Wrapped up nice and neat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on then. Six degrees for Rapture. <clears throat> oh, you know what? Before we do. I'm sorry. I'm making this uh, a pain for um, Adam Embry to cut. So, <laughs> do you guys like this? Ep- I love this episode. I really do. Do you guys like this episode that much? I didn't get that sense from you. Uh, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. I was about to say just, I'll, yeah, it is a good episode. I'd like it. It's, it was, wouldn't be one I'd necessarily first dig out, but it would be mm-hmm. one I'd, I would, if I was watching like a sequence, a sequence of them, I can't even speak there, uh, I would probably pop, or I would put, pop this on because it's a good episode. So it's well put together and says a lot. So. It's. It, I, I would at least say, like, yeah, I wouldn't put it in my a list of my top tens or something, but yeah. it's certainly in my top five for this season. How's that? Yeah, I would say that. I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Caesar. Oh, I mean, we've already had. I've already had this discussion. I won't go into it. I'm, I wasn't. Oh, that you still don't, not. That, I know. Yeah, you I, I thought she was completely unnecessary for the show, but well, we, we can move on. Move on, yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> just because she's that's how much you hate oh. Cascades. She's in the episode. You don't like. It. <laughs> well, well you, you know, we've had this. I don't. I don't disagree with them having a relationship, but she's barely a C character. We you know, we don't know anything. I mean, and they put her in this episode, and it's just. It's to me, it's distracting, and it's not. She yeah. they could have brought her back another time and had her more of a main element of the story, but it didn't. I her, used to like her, and you talked me out of it, and I'm not going <laughs> to let you talk me out of liking this episode. <laughs> I'm not, no, I, I enjoy I enjoy this episode, but if no, there's weakness to this episode, <laughs> it's, it should have brought her back the next episode or something. Yeah, I agree. I did put that down actually, and I forgot to mention it. But it's like, what? Why is she back in this episode? Why is she here? Uh, I don't know if you guys actually want the answer to that, but there is an actual answer. Originally, it was written with um, with uh, Kira, but because of her newborn, she was unavailable. I mean, it was written with Nana Visitor, and because in real life, you know, uh, a Visitor had a baby, and it was so soon after she had the baby, at the last second, they rewrote it and put Cassidy in there. So, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll say that, I'll say this too. It just compounds Cisco's kind of disinterest in the whole relationship. I think if any. <laughs> If anybody would have walked through that hollow sweet door, if Quark <clears throat> would have walked through that hollow sweet door, he would have taken him to Baja. I don't think it mattered. It was her. He was so excited he found it. So she just happened to be the first one that walked in. Okay, now we're moving on. Six degrees for Rapture. All right, so we got our score of uh, two nil. Um, and Ben, as I mentioned to them, I had a bit of a hard time today with some making real six degrees questions because there weren't enough characters, uh, actors, and different things. So, um, Adam, go for it. This was the first episode to air after the film first 
contact came out, hence the new uniforms. In a couple of episodes, we're going to find Bashir in a Dominion prison camp and realize that Bashir on our station is a changeling. What uniform is the Bashir in the prison wearing? The old one or the new one? Indicating a timeline for his kidnapping. Uh, I'm going to say he's wearing the old one. You are correct. He's wearing the old one. So we got two to one. Um, Ben. Go ahead. Penny Johnson returns as Cassidy Yates after having spent six months in prison. What other DS9 character returned to the station recently, within the last few episodes, after having spent six months in prison? Sorry, uh, in this season, did you say? Yeah, within the last, I don't know, four episodes, maybe three, three, four, five episodes. Oh, God. I'm having a real mind blank here now. Is it is it in the past or in the future? <laughs> uh, well, he just returned. I should probably know this, so I'm, I'm going to have to pass this on. Can no problem. A bit of a thing, uh, so. uh, Steve, do you know it? Yeah, I'm racking my brain. I'm sure this is going to be a no-brainer once it hits me. Um, geez. See, man, don't feel bad. Our, the, the expert doesn't know. <laughs> so in the last few episodes someone else returned from six months in prison and it's a male from given you said he yeah, that's true. Um, they don't actually say it in the episode but he has returned from six months the last time we saw him was that he was getting sent to prison for six months okay yeah, I, I'm blanking I'm sorry Adam can you reread the question? Sure. <laughs> Penny Johnson returns as Cassidy Yates after having spent six months in prison. What other DS9 character returned to the station recently, within the last few episodes, after having spent six months in prison? In other words, there was a recurring character who we knew left for prison for six months, and he came back for the first time. He was in an episode for the first time since then, within the last few episodes. Um, you know what? I'm just going to make a stab at it. I'm going to say Garrick. You are correct. It was Garrick. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh, Remember prison. when they were at the uh, the Dominion homeworld and he tried to... He yeah, tried that's when he got into a fight with Worf, right? Worf, exactly. He got into a fist fight with Worf because he was trying to set off some weapons to destroy the, the Dominion homeworld. Okay. Oh. You don't? Okay. No, not really. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and oh. they arrested him. They said... Something like, you know, he's not going to be gone that long. And he was well, gone. that's when, when Odo became a change link. And remember, he made, oh, I made, made Odo the uniform. Now you've done your job. Now I got to do mine. Right. Yeah. Him. Yeah. All right. All right. Steve's going to look this one up. <laughs> I believe you. It's just, I wonder why I totally just blanked it out. Like it must not have been important to me or something. That's cool. Yeah, very good. Uh, okay. Ben, uh, wait, no, that was Ben's. Okay. So, Steve. Yes. You're going to hate me on this. I know. <laughs> uh, well, so, what's our score? Uh, two to one. Ben automatically gets infinity because he's our guest. Okay. So I got two. I got it's it's two two. My friend. Oh, because you got Garrick. It's two two. Right. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. Okay, Steve. Uh, while trying to plan the Federation dignitaries, uh, where the Federation dignitaries will be housed, Worf insists a Federation captain get equal quarters to an admiral because it is naval tradition. To which Odo responds, "So is keel hauling." <laughs> what is keel hauling? <laughs> oh. Um, I don't, know. I don't know. Walking the plank? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, ben, do you know what keel, haul- keel hauling is? 
not off the top of my head. It's yeah, it's not really a Star Trek question because I'm having a hard time today, like I said. But don't get worried. I don't know. Uh, running the boat aground. Uh, nope, Adam. <laughs> um, I believe it's some sort of naval. It's a naval punishment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it's not walking the plank because that, that would be walking the plank. Um, I don't know. They they tie him to the hull or something. Uh, a sailor was tied to a rope that looped beneath the vessel, thrown overboard on one side of the ship and dragged under the ship's keel, either Ew. from one side of the ship or to the other. Do you guys <laughs> think did Adam get that? I don't know. Um, well, yeah, they care. throw him off the uh, ship. Why not? It's your call. Okay, yeah, so, whatever. <laughs> Steve's not going to be happy, though. He wasn't really good on that He's last one. <laughs> don't, don't worry, Steve. you got two more episodes. To come back and get you the victory. It's regular six degrees. So, <laughs> The Darkness and the Light, Season 5, Episode 11, Production Number 509. Original air date, January 6, 1997. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore. Story by Brian Fuller. Directed by Michael Viger. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Randy Oglesby as Solarin Prin, William Lucking as Pharrell, Diane Salinger as Lupanza, Jennifer Savage as Trenton Faza, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Matt Rowe as Lotha Mabrin, Christian Conrad as Brilgar, Scott McElroy as Guard, and Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice. Kira is shocked and saddened when Lathan Mabrin, a fellow member of the Shikara resistance cell turned Vedic, is murdered. Kira's shock quickly turns to fear when she receives a recorded message moments after learning of his murder. The message consists of a picture of Letha appearing on the computer screen and a scrambled voice message saying simply, That's one. I could have killed every monk in that tavern, or everyone on the runabout, or half the population of Deep Space Nine, but I didn't. Only the guilty have died. And that is why. Although your actions have condemned you, the life of your child will be spared. Ben, start yes. us off on this episode. Oh, I was just about to say this. I was, what I first thought of was it was a lot darker than usual, but I really, really enjoyed this, actually. It didn't have as much detective work as I was thinking, but I was really did enjoy it. So I'm just trying to think of, find something to quote now. Uh, but I really... Well, you're right that it's it's very dark. When it, when it finally gets to that end sequence, which is not just metaphorically dark, but like literally dark, you know, and he's going to take that, what is it, like laser scalpel or something and just cut out the baby from mm. Kira's womb? I mean, that's that's as dark as Star Trek ever gets, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was just about to say, he's, for somebody who was a cleaner, I thought he was a very uh, sophisticated uh, mm-hmm. person, as in very... Uh, Techno savvy, for sure. So, well, he's almost, you know, some of the th- little things he says when he's talking, like in third person. You know, uh, she does this, whatever. It kind of reminded me of uh, what Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. That's what I reminded me of Gollum a little bit too. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't think of that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thought I had that I have to mention is Kira broke Steve Embry's rule. In this episode. <laughs> I like laughed out loud whenever she, whenever she grabbed the phaser or whatever and opened the door. And I'm just thinking, Steve is going to be upset that she didn't call security to tell them 
<laughs> lights were out and you know in her yep. yeah, that, that scene was a little weird it was a little weird how they how they did that <laughs> they do stuff like that really often for dramatic purposes and and not only that of course not even to mention how um crazy um you know she just she just went off on her own and she's carrying the O'Brien's baby and into this situation like mm-hmm. what's she gonna do exactly you know she's after this guy now I'm whatever he is and whatever he's doing I'm taking him on you know it's and she covers up her tracks so nobody can find her that was weird to me yeah and yeah going even so far as to do that too but I do think that it was in keeping with her character because yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know at the, at, the, at first there a couple of her friends are killed or whatever and she's sitting um um sitting on the promenade and, and uh, O'Brien sits down and she says something like, you know, I, I should be down there doing something. He says, no, your job is here with the baby. And she's like, yes, you're right. You know, she's still able to control herself from, you know, the person that she really is. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the episode, when her really good friends are, are killed, uh, you know, Lupasa and uh, Furl, Furl um, I believe it. I believe that she's charging out uh, you know, tries to get there to save them when it, obviously it's hopeless. And when she's like, okay, now I have to go, I have to go kill this person, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I almost like that she's driven to that point and she is true to herself. That's what she's going there to do. It's not very Star Trek. Like, you know, it's not very mm-hmm. Federation E of her. Um, and it works out so that she can still kind of feel like she's killed him in self-defense, I suppose. But, she was not going there to arrest him, do you yeah. think? Yeah. No, yeah. nothing so. No, I but, can imagine it. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, by the way, I think we. I think this was probably the most gruesome murder in this, the transporter accident. Yes. Probably is, yeah. probably <laughs> as vile as you'll see in any Star Trek episode. Didn't they have something? What, what were you going to say, Ben, before I move on? Oh, I was going to say, uh, she went, she, oh, I know she, it's in her character to go gun-ho, and I... I think it, she did the. Uh, I think she she would have done that, but yeah. she seemed like she was going to jump in every single person's house, and just <laughs> go beam straight down and kill every single person that she <laughs> All came across. Twenty people on the list. <laughs> yeah, she did say that in her in her monologue. There, I eliminated the three people on the list that they they wanted. <laughs> yeah, so, and it was the next person on the list just happened to be the person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How exactly did she eliminate them? See, that's <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Um, no, wasn't there like a transporter accident in the first movie? Sure. Yeah, but it wasn't as gruesome as that. It they didn't the show you the remains of the yeah the remains. Yeah, <laughs> but it is effective when Lupiza and um, um, Feral die. Although I would have actually maybe I'm being too gruesome, but I I think it would have been even more effective if we'd seen something of it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if we'd seen their bodies in the morgue the or explosion whatever. or. But it is effective that they kill these people that we've seen in a previous episode, you know, that we really believe and understand how they're such good friends and have been for so long, as opposed to, you know, the Vedic guy at the beginning who is, okay, she says she's his friend. We've never seen him before. You know, we don't really have that. Well, they up the stakes for each murder in, um, in this episode. I mean, you know, first it's, you know, somebody I used to know, and then it's like a really person that she respected who mm-hmm. passed them information and then it's like really close like family to her so they and it's the o'brien's quarters and you worry that they would if they were in there you know yeah. so yeah. it's not, not just that yeah mm-hmm. I, I did like the second one when the message came up that originally thought it was in her head and then it was just like 
finding out that cork actually was setting it off was actually bring a bit of nice cheer to it. Yeah, that was directed yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, and it's—I would say it was that was very cork as well. So, and uh, Steve, who directed this one? It's um, let's see, Michael Viger. Okay, yeah, I think he hadn't done anything in a while, um, but he's one of those guys that's like he's a director, director. You know, he's not like, and I'm not dissing. Say when the DP steps up to direct or something, those guys do a good job. But generally, to me, it's the the guys that's all they do that are often the best, like uh, the David Carsons, for example. Mm-hmm. Like this guy, uh, the scene, which, by the way, the, to me, the best scene in this show is that monologue that Kira has in Sick Bay, mm-hmm. where she tells about how she got into the resistance. She tells this story kind of to Odo, but she's really telling it to us. Um, just the composition of that, her performance is so great, and the shot is just like this dolly shot. There's this really cool composition with like stuff on the sides, and it pushes all the way into her face, and then it cuts up to Odo's face, just for a second, cuts back to her. Um, it's so noticeably different than what we get, not just in DS9, but or not just in Star Trek, but even in DS9, which already is different. Um, and I thought that that monologue was great, and she was so good, and that's the kind of thing that they don't do very often because it's hard to do well. Not just I'm not just talking about the direction, but even just writing that long monologue. You know, minutes of dialogue from one person. That you can count on one hand the number of times we see that in Star Trek probably. Mm-hmm. So it's very unusual and it's and, and she pulls it off because she's so good and the writing is really good and it and the, it's directed so well and I really I really dig that scene. Mm-hmm. It sells the entire episode for me. It, it everything that comes before it and after it kind of hinges on that scene. And if that scene hadn't worked, I don't think the the episode would have worked. Mm, yeah. Um, but then we eventually get to the end scene, which I, I want us to talk about here for a minute. Um, I I like how how it's staged and it's so dark and it's so small and claustrophobic and she's. You know, we've already mentioned how she's she's strapped down into this bed, and he's talking about he's gonna first. He starts off talking in third person, and you get this serial killer vibe, and then and then he starts talking to her, and we get into what the episode's about for me. Um, and he says, you know, I wasn't even in the military. Um, I wasn't innocent, and basically her response was, it was not. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to kill you, I was, wasn't trying to hurt you, I was trying to just kill this other guy. Was, no, her response is, you were all guilty. Again, it's another one of those things where it's very true to her character, not very Star Trek or Federation-y, no. but I like that they went there. Mm-hmm. I think it does contradict a little bit, uh, what was it, the episode was the war criminal but the first season episode duet I f- was yeah I think it was first season I can't remember if it what if that was it, what it was called but the the guy they thought was a killer but was just mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. person at the desk job it does contradict that but I think with the motions that she's got she's annoyed or ups, very upset that she's gone back to what she thought before that so yeah what uh, Steve, Adam, what do you guys do? You guys think it it contradicts that duet? Um, I don't know. I I can kind of suspend disbelief here a little bit. I think you know, 
<clears throat> emotions will get the best of anybody, especially in a dire mm-hmm. situation like that. So I don't know if she truly believes that every every Kardashian 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 should <laughs> deserves to die. I think she was just in kind of yeah. I think that's, that's, that's her, her, her 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 passion comes out like that, and we've seen it numerous times before. Yeah. So um, that, yeah, that's so like like Duet. I don't think she would have gone out of her way to kill that guy. Right. Um, and when someone did, she didn't agree with it. But yeah, no, I think it's, it's pressed yeah. to this point. That's that's how she feels. Yeah, right. I think it's a, yeah. I think that's the yeah. point. I think it's a gray area. Yes, there's there's uh, it's 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 a, it's ridiculous in a way to say that a person that that gives the order to kill zillions of people is on the same level as someone who just happened to be on the planet who's of this species during an occupation and etc but but if he's going to go there and he's going to kill her friends then she's naturally going to counter with that kind of argument and it's and we're hard pressed to really argue against that you know what, given what he's done so she has that line uh you know sometimes innocence is just an excuse for the guilty um and that's it's kind of a variation on, on what it's about, but there are a lot of interesting parallels. Um, just the, the fact that you don't say anything um, when you know what your people are doing is wrong, or, or even just when you see them being treated uh, a certain way and you don't and you don't speak up, there's some level of guilt there. And mm-hmm. I don't mean I don't mean guilt like I feel bad. I mean guilt like responsibility. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, what, what do you guys have on what it's about? Well, what I've got written down is uh, oh, emotions. It's like what what becomes of you when you push that far from both sides, Kira's point of view and his mm-hmm. point of view. So, like, being attacked, uh, him or him being attacked, the Kardashian being attacked when he was just a cleaner and... Kira for all the before reasons. So, well, it's interesting to me that it's almost like they're, you know, again, what I like about this show is is our shades of gray. You could easily make the argument for either of them being right or either of them being wrong. Yeah, yeah I was about to say the same thing. I would agree with you there, Brian, for sure. They're both right and both wrong. Of course, he's a bit insane, but part of what but he's hey, saying does have some. But he truth. says he says. I didn't kill indiscriminately like you did, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting in this one scene, listening to that one line. That's not unreasonable. <laughs> well, well, I'm saying his insanity comes from his obsession because clearly he's, um, he's worked very hard on, on killing the people who he did kill, kill. So that's, um, that's why I'm saying he's a bit insane, but I agree that there, the shades of gray, there, a lot of what he says is correct and she's correct. So they're both right, both wrong. And it's, um, it's that dilemma of life that we all fall into occasionally that where you come into a conflict with somebody where they're right, you're right, and they're wrong, and you're wrong. It, you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, overall the, the moral ambiguities of war for, to, to some extent, yeah, is what I, I feel is going on here. A theme that's um, very uh, recurring in uh, DS9. And uh, I like that in this episode, they tackled that same theme, but from a different angle and gave us something new to talk about, you know, and that's good. Uh, I'll say this, the last thing I'll say about it. I, I enjoyed this episode more than I thought I would when I saw it come up on the list. 
I don't remember liking uh-huh. it as much. In the it's past. because his execution is so good. Like you, when you remember them, you remember what happened. You remember like plot, you know. Mm-hmm. And the plot is fine, but the execution in this episode is so good. The performances are so good. The writing is so good that it makes watching it very enjoyable. Um, to me, and you know, and Ben, that's a very good point about duet. Um, just overall, it, it, this episode is an interesting companion piece to duet, and I hadn't thought about it. But that was a very good point. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Six degrees for uh, the darkness and the light. So what is our score? Ben has infinity, and uh, Adam has two, and Steve has two? I have three. Right, you have three. Right. Oh, right, because we gave you the keel hauling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that would work in space, keel hauling. Anyway, go ahead. One, two, three. All right. Okay. All right, uh, Ben. I'm going to yeah. give you an episode title question. Oh, good. <laughs> can't go any worse, like. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you might be able to just guess it, even if you don't know. Okay. Randy Oglesby plays Salarin Prin, the mutilated Cardassian bent on killing Kira and the rest of her resistance self for revenge. I last asked about him when he played a Miradorn twin in DS9's first season. Um, in Enterprise's first season, he played Trinal, the Zerillian captain of a ship that Trip helps affect repairs. In the process, Trip has a close encounter and ends up pregnant. Name the episode. Oh, I remember the episode. They had, it was like a hollow deck on it, I believe, but I can't remember him getting so pregnant. The, the name? Oh, okay. Uh, so. Yeah, it was a very early first. It was one of the first episodes. Yeah. So I remember they advertised it as, oh, Trip gets pregnant. It's a funny episode. Ha, ha. Yeah. Um, and the name of the episode is kind of a variation on a word for pregnancy. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to get... All I can think of is maternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no... All I can think of is maternity and got one in the oven. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, uh, I'm sure that's not the answer, but. That would be good though, I'd like that. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Oh, God. Adam after Ben, right? Yeah, no. Why not? Give it, pass it over. All right, all right, all right. So, so, so we're going to continue this theme because I I don't really know the name of the episode, but I'm going to go with Knocked Up. (laughs) <laughs> nope Steve uh, I'm not sure uh, is expecting uh, no but let's go back to Ben and Ben I will say that Steve is very close I knew it was close to that I didn't feel it was quite on no. expecting expected uh, I'll give it to you it's unexpected oh yes okay, oh, okay. Yeah. so you still have infinity uh <laughs> Okay, so uh, Adam. Yes. Do you want the uh, title question or the 50 50 question? <laughs> I go 50 50. <laughs> this is the second time we see Diane Salinger and William Lucking play Kira's friends, Lupiza and Pharrell, respectively. They die in this episode, but one of them will return later in the season in a flashback in the episode titled. Ties of Blood and Water. Which one is that? 
Which character do we see? Yep. Um, is it Diane Salinger as Lupiza or William Lucking as Pharrell? I'm going to say Pharrell. You are correct. Jeez. Steve, Christian Conrad played Deputy Brilgar, the Bajoran security officer who is both hungry and, and unable to... I didn't... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something about this. I forgot to mention how, how silly I thought it was. Whenever she, uh, Kira goes back to her quarters right before Lupiza and, and Pharrell show up and, and, and they go in, she goes in with the security officer, this guy I'm just asking a question about, and she says, I'm going to take a nap or I'm going to lay down. Help yourself to the rep, replicator. And I just thought... Like everybody has a replicator. Everybody, yeah. anytime they want for free. Is that really so generous? Help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That made me laugh. It was like, gee, thanks, Kira. Uh, anyway, so Christian Conrad played <laughs> Deputy Brilgar, the Bajoran security officer who is both hungry and unable to fend off Lupusa and Feral. In Voyager's third season, he played Dunbar. Henry Starling's assistant in the 1990s, uh, both of whom try to use 29th century technology, uh, timeship included, to advance their 1990s company. Name this two-part episode. Mm. Hint. I'll give you a hint. The Borg Queen in First Contact uses these same words. Hmm. Okay. Um, in First Contact, a, she says, Future's End? You are right. Very good. In first context, she says, watch your future's end. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, um, Ben, you yeah. won today's trivia. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. We really thank appreciated you. it. And thank you for letting me on, as I've uh, said. And it was privileged uh, to be on here, even though I may have said um and ah a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> we do plenty of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything you wanted to tell the folks at home about or anything like that? Any? Oh, nothing in particular. There's no, nothing in my life you'd want to know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> glad to hear your thoughts on Star Trek. Thank you very much. And as I said, thanks for having me. All right, okay. Thanks for joining us, Ben. See you. Bye. The Begotten, Season 5, Episode 12, Production Number 510. Original air date, January 27, 1997. Written by Renea Caveria, directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Duncan Rager as Shakar Adan, Peggy Roeder as Epora, and James Sloyan as Dr. Maura Pohl. The station is buzzing with the news that Kira has finally gone into labor. But Odo is surprisingly uninterested having his own baby to deal with. Odo purchased an ailing infant changeling from Quark, and after Dr. Bashir heals the creature, he begins the task of trying to teach the changeling to shapeshift. When Dr. Mora, the Bajoran scientist who raised Odo, arrives on the station to help him, it forces Odo to deal with his own childhood and reluctantly take on some of Mora's techniques to help the infant grow. Who knows? Maybe in a couple of months it may get so tired of your incessant chatter that it might actually do something. Oh, you'd just love to get your hands on it, wouldn't you? You could sell tickets on the promenade. Dr. Mora's Chamber of Horrors, open for business, right this way. Captain, how's it going, gentlemen? Caesar, start us off. Um, I like this episode. It's solid. I mean, um, we we go back. I think with uh, Dr. Mora and um, 
Odo stuff. They kind of rehash all that. I think they've mm-hmm. you know they've done it a couple times now, and I believe I believe this is the last time we see Doctor Mora, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. But um, I, I liked. I think it was it was a good you know the the A and the B story obviously intertwined well together. Um, um, it, it's got its touching moments, and it's kind of got a little bit of its its lighthearted moments with um, um O'Brien and Shakar. But um, overall, I, I I I like it. Still do. Yeah, I wonder if it feels like this episode is a better maybe a better episode than the last time we had Doctor Paul on Doctor Mora. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, and since they do cover some of the same ground here, that it feels like they do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, it doesn't hurt this episode, but I, it kind of takes away from the other episode for me. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it does, it does work. I, I do like it. And I tell you the things that I enjoy the most in this episode, Rene Abrajanois is just so awesome. He's so good. <laughs> and I'm like giddy when I see him acting in front of a ball of jello, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's yeah. so good. And I believe him. I believe that this, that this goo in this cup is a living creature. You know, you know, it's it's amazing how um you know even with all the makeup on you know I, the best way to describe it is he's you know he's had a lot of the you know he 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 can't show any emotion really with his face so mm-hmm. uh, I was noted a lot of it comes from uh, all of it really to me comes from his eyes you can see the emotion through mm-hmm. his eyes and um um you see that when he's talking to um, the change link and you see that later on when he's in the bar with Cork. Um, uh, just it, it, it's it's your I would agree with you about his acting and he has to do all that through his eyes he can't really do it <clears throat> with any facial tics or emotions to me mm-hmm. I, I love this idea that he's that he's no longer a changeling but he's trying to teach the goo how to be a changeling <laughs> the yeah you know yeah um, and it's there's a little bit of that summed up in this scene kind of near the end when he's so happy mm-hmm. and corks you know, and he, and he tells him the the founders took that that away from me, um, but being a solid doesn't seem so bad anymore because this young changeling is in my life. Um, I think, and I'm, you know, and, I think, I'm, and I'm specifically a parent. Right. What were you gonna say? Well, I was. I think. I think that there's an analogy there with um, with yeah with with the notion of. Uh, parents and children and kind of the idea and I don't have any children so maybe I'm off base but my feel is that it kind of explains also how maybe an adult with a child can feel more comfortable than perhaps someone without a child of not being a young person anymore you know because it's almost like if you have Mm. an offspring that you can carry on things with and you can teach things to and et cetera et cetera maybe that might take a little of the sting out of not being young anymore I don't know you know what I mean? And in, in Odo's case, he doesn't have his powers, at least at the beginning of the episode. And so maybe that's kind of where he's coming from. So a little bit of living vicariously through the child. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that, Brian. You're, you've recently kind of gone through this experience. Um, how did you guys, uh, guys well, oh, was, um, relate to this episode? Was no it, doubt watching this episode, I was, th- you know, even something as simple as, as um, one of the first things near the beginning when Cisco says to Odo, you know, consider bringing Dr. Mora into this because it's always nice to have someone around to help change the diapers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a simple little line like that means so much to me right now. 
you know, my baby just turned six months old. By the way, the entire day today, I, I had to watch him most of the day today. Um, <laughs> and today he was wearing a shirt that in Star Trek font said, I just boldly went. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so much of this episode. And of course, I watched this with my wife and <laughs> and um, the scenes with um, um, Kira having the baby. <laughs> it's so like not the human way to have a baby. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all about being relaxed and everything is calm. And uh, I don't care how much you prep for having a baby. A human, it, uh, it isn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> is this the last time we see Shakir? Or is there a break Shakar? Shakar uh, yes, this is the last time we see Shakar. They don't this even, was his third of three appearances as Shakar. They don't even get a breakup scene. No, they just kind of say something about it at some point. Um, mm. You know, it was weird. I was I I didn't expect this. I for some reason I thought there was an episode where Odo had a um had a solid relate not like a relation a solid relationship. And I guess that's later on, doesn't he? Oh, it's funny. I had the same thought. I was like, oh, this happens now because I thought when he st- dates that woman, mm-hmm. that's one you're talking about, right? Yeah, He's yeah. D- I thought when he dated that girl that he was a solid. So, so I was obviously remembering that totally wrong. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I made I the mistake. The yeah. mm-hmm. But they did get, for example, we talked about the ascent today, uh, where uh, uh, Odo and Quark are trapped on that planet and climbing up the mountain. And that's something that they couldn't have done if he was a changeling, because he would have right. just flown to the top like he says in the episode so that i think they they took a good advantage of him being a solid there were other examples i think that narratively they could have mined that forever um so i i you know i've heard i don't remember who one of the writers maybe it was ron moore you know kind of lamented that you know, well, maybe we should have had him be a solid a little bit longer. There was there was still more in that uh, that we could have he could have discovered. Yeah, brought out more things, and and you know, there's some there's some truth to that because we got such good things with it. But even this episode is still is such a, a great way. You know, they had they had the storyline of Kira. Now, of course, Nana Visitor and IRL had a baby a few episodes back. Um, but she's been wearing, uh, you know, a prosthetic or whatever to make her continue to look pregnant since they had to write the baby. Yeah, we, we, we didn't, we didn't talk about it in the last, the darkness. Um, yeah, you could kind of tell it was prosthetic, kind of got really flat, almost like pillow like. Low, like when she would lay down, it would look. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) so they had that storyline that they needed to wrap up and they had this cool idea for a, the, infant changeling and i like too that it never really does anything but be there's one scene where it forms his face right but other than that it's pretty much just some goo mm-hmm. yeah. um and i think if they'd gone much farther it would have been a little too close to the episode with the jem hadar because he the the boy jem hadar that he raised right um so i like that it really does just stay a, a bunch of goo and it and it really becomes between the episodes really about you know, Odo and Morapole and, 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 and then that works. And, uh, if we go into what it's about, um, so it's the same kind of thing for me that the last Morapole and Odo was, but 
well, one of the lines he has that kind of sums it up for me was um, after they use one of Dr. Mora's, I don't know, electrocution need test or whatever shock treatment <laughs> yeah shock treatment to get um to get the changeling the infant changeling to uh, keep a shape um and odo smiles and uh paul has some line like um I, I smiled the first time you did that too um little did i realize you would end up hating me for it um and i and i think that it's in there uh what, what are you guys thinking about well, uh, yeah, it's about becoming, to me, it's, I mean, getting, not getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah, about being a parent. And uh, I think like, Odo finally understands what Dr. Mora kind of went through. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it, it comes, becomes, starts to become clear for him when Cisco comes in there and kind of puts the pressure on Odo. Like, hey, we got to get some results or somebody else is going to mm-hmm. take over. And that's where you first see Odo go, okay. <laughs> now I kind of understand what he was going through. And then gradually it comes out more and more about. And at the end, he's like, I understand what you went through. Steve? I, I don't know. Um, it, you know, it's, I really like the episode. I like how the A and B stories tie up at the end and all that kind of thing. Um, it, it's, it obviously is, is, is about, you know, parenthood, um, specifically, I don't know, um, the, um, I don't know the joys and sorrows of parenthood, perhaps, and and you know having having to let go to some extent. They they, they both are in different situations why they have to let go. You know, Kira and Odo, but that's what they kind of have to share at the end. Hmm. That's a nice scene. You know, and it is hard to imagine that you can have this baby in your belly for so long and then you just give it up. Right, you know, and I don't know that they really address that anymore the, after the end of this show. But in a way, the, in a way, the opposite thing happens with Odo because that infant changeling—it was like absorbed into his body and gave him his powers back. Mm. So in a way, it's <laughs> always going to be with him, you know. And the opposite thing has happened to Kira. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Sigur, you know, it's on the out on the outside. It, I can see what you're saying. On the outside, it looks like. Kira ended up being, you know, for lack of a better term, the winner of this episode. But in, yeah, but I agree with what you're saying. It's like in the long term, you know, she's not going to get to raise that child. She'll be a part of that child's life, obviously, but she's not going to be as intimate as, say, Keiko and O'Brien because it's their son. And I, in Odo knowing that that changeling is always going to be a part of him. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I didn't think of it that way before. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, let's move on, shall we? Unless you guys got anything else you need to add? Mm-mm. I do have to say, laugh out loud, funny. Worf walks up to Odo with a replimat. Constable, why are you talking to your beverage? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were really good with Worf, this, especially this year with his little one-liners. Yeah, he, you know, Papa... Yeah. It, Pop, except for what maybe one or two episodes this season, he hasn't been a real you know dominant character. But um, he pops in from time to time, like and just makes a, a an unusual comment like that. It's been fun. Today he had the, one of the other episodes. He had the line about uh, ancient um, Klingon proverb: uh, "You can't get a man to talk by giving him root beer or something to that effect." 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. It would have been funny if um, Jadzer turned to him and just said, you just made that up. <laughs> Six degrees for the begotten. Uh, is it Adam four, Steve three? Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. Uh, Steve? Mm-hmm. The first question is a next-gen question. The second question is a multiple choice for choices. Um, DS9 question. Which would you like? Next gen. James Sloyan plays Dr. Morapole. I've asked about several of his Trek roles before, but not his performance as the Romulan commander, Aladar Jarak, in Next Gen's third season. In the episode, The Defector, Jarak defects to the Enterprise to inform Picard and crew that the Romulans were preparing for war. When it is discovered that it was all a Romulan ruse to prove Jarak's disloyalty, what does Jarak do at the end of the episode? Mm, I believe he commits suicide. You are correct. He commits suicide. Four to four, Adam. That was a good episode. I haven't thought about that one. Mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. It was a good one. Uh, Kira has Keiko's baby in this episode. <laughs> Leaving aside the alternate universe where that explanation came from a much more exciting episode. <laughs> how many more times will we see Keiko in Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Is it two, four, or six? And this is for victory. All the marbles. All the marbles. What did you just say? Two, four, or six? Yep. <sighs> um, this is in all the rest of the series from after now. How many more times are we going to see Keiko? How many more episodes is Keiko going to be in? I'm going to say four. Oh! It was two. <laughs> you guys tied it today. That was your chance. That's, that's a good tie. That's I knew she was time. in at least one more, so. This is what She does the. Well, she has the word, the. the Oh, their daughter is that weird episode where yeah, their daughter yeah. is trapped some like that time warp. looking thing or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a weird one. <sighs> so I got to tell you guys, I am so excited for this sampler disc of Next Gen on Blu-ray that comes out in a matter of hours. Yeah, yep. I'm like the last time I was this excited for Star Trek, and obviously we're Star Trek people, folks. The last time I was this excited was probably the, when the last movie came out. And that's how <laughs> excited I am about this. And it's just a sampler. It's just four episodes. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what? Star Trek is a TV show. They're shooting a movie right now. But this is exactly what we love. There's, yeah, I got Star Trek toys. And we go to see Star Trek movies. And there's lots. Of, we love Star Trek, of course. But where, did, where does our love begin? What is Star Trek? It's a television show. And the chance to see Next Gen... It's in HD. I've I've downloaded a whole bunch of the stills, you know, that people have put online, and I've and I've watched a lot of clips and stuff. It's like a chance to see it, a new show almost. It's what it feels like. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, you know? yeah. That that's how I For felt sure. about um, uh, the original series when it came to Blu-ray too. Uh, now, of course, they it was really heavy on the new effects on that notion too. But yeah, whenever you you pop it up a level in terms of that resolution and, and see that. And, and, and furthermore, when I was so excited also when I heard about this, because that to me was kind of the opening the gate to all of them. As soon as they do this, oh, that means yeah. it's much more likely they're going to do the others. You yeah. know, it's just, you got to get started with, with this because it's so much more difficult with these things mastered to video and stuff. We made it to episode 30. Thanks. <laughs> 
Ben for joining us. Uh, ben is a frequent commenter on our Facebook page, which you could too, at uh, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. You could also send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That we would really love. That would be awesome. That's how we get new listeners, and that's what we do the show for, is for more listeners. We want everyone to join in together, and it's one big utopian Trek family. Hmm. Um, oh, you can also follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Uh, I have been sending out some tweets, mostly about Next Gen on Blue, which I'm so excited for. So, we will see you guys in a couple of weeks when we do the next four episodes of DS9. Take it easy. Take care, guys.